0: I am Ohiro Oni Isele. Ruminations is the podcast where I discuss matters of life. For a very long time, we have known from studies that human nature would almost require us to do anything that we think might protect us from real, imagined, or clearly perceived danger. The other side of that is that, out of a desire for the preservation of organized society, we are under the requirement of law that precludes us from responding to fear in any extreme way, unless our lives are inarguably threatened. Since authority determines the rules of society, Authority also decides who is eligible to respond to fear, even in an an extreme way, and who isn't. Authority sets up structures to determine what response is appropriate and what response is not. Therefore, a member of a dominant group may not be subjected to the same expectations and or consequences as a member of a marginalized group, even if both individuals respond to fear in the same way. To this end, the stories of the trials of Judge Zimmerman in the murder of Trevon Martin and Marissa Alexander in her trial for firing a warning shot in the direction of her abusive husband— under the same stand-your-ground law in the same state of Florida and the same prosecutorial district, is very instructive. While Zimmerman, who killed Trevon Martin, walked out of court a free man, Ms. Alexander, who caused no injury to her abusive spouse, received a 20-year jail term. The only distinguishing factor in both cases was that both Mr. Trevor Martin and Ms. Alexander were members of a group that is deemed appropriate to be described as other in the eyes of our law. They were both black. In contemporary society, authority figures are increasingly making an art of defining the objects that people should fear. Despite the fear that we may feel, we must submit to the powers that sanction our ability to respond to fear and determine how we respond. Having submitted, authority also expects us to accept their choice of language that they will use to initiate, maintain, and increase our fear even as they tell us that they exist to protect us from the objects of our fear. As if that is not enough, they define the objects of our fear and expect us to comply. For the current government in the United States, The language and objects of fear that they have chosen for us include such terms as quote, law and order, bad dudes, refugees, extreme vetting, terrorists, Islamic extremists, jihadists, Muslims, criminals, illegals. Around the world, immigrants, political opponents, and members of minority groups have been the chosen objects of fear. In South Africa, for example, the objects of fear that must not only be illegally arrested or harassed, but also killed, are black immigrants from other African countries. While people who follow developments in South Africa may perceive of this as somewhat of a deviation from the argument thus far, in the sense that the South African government did not choose the objects of fear now being killed on South African streets, it is by no means a deviation. The reality is that by condoning the actions of the killers and publicly making statements that range from denial, to implicit support for the killers, to toothless bravado, that government, by its complicity, has chosen the current victim groups as the objects that the people should fear. But the case of South Africa is by no means unique in this regard, even if the difference may be of kind rather than degree, depending on whose perceptions are being expressed. Certainly, the current South African situation exposes the emptiness and extreme weakness of the judicial, social, and political institutions of a corrupt nation, on the one hand, and on the other hand, the penchant of frustrated and downtrodden thugs for jungle justice. Around the world, immigrants, members of minority racial and ethnic groups are marginalized and yet are the objects that society is encouraged to fear. To call this thinking illogical is to understate the degree of senselessness inherent both in the conception and practice of otherism. The seeds of social rejection are sown and nurtured through stigmatization, labeling, and myriad forms of discrimination. Every act of group stigmatization arises out of the desires of a dominant group to establish, exercise, and maintain its dominance over less powerful or marginalized groups. The elements of stigmatization include negative labeling, social suppression of groups, establishment of social disadvantage, inadequate or denial of access to opportunities, stereotyping of groups based on generalizations, often deliberate misinformation, attitudes, and beliefs. The resulting stigma reduces, or produces rather, and is propelled by blame and prejudice against the stigmatized groups, manifested in words, actions, policies, and so on. In turn, rejection motivates people to distance themselves from the sources of their rejection and brings them closer to those who are accepting. When this happens, several other possibilities are known to occur. Among other things, the individual grows in a sense of belonging and loyalty to the accepting group and further away from the dominant group. In that context, a sense of commitment to national identity diminishes and fear and distrust are enhanced. For this reason, among others, No society can expect to benefit eternally from socially rejecting any groups that make up the society. This is a lesson that seems to elude too many leaders in our current world. But who will teach them and how can they learn when they have such incredibly fragile egos? Therefore, the relationships between nations and social groups, characterized as the other, deserve ongoing exploration because, the realities of in-and-out groups notwithstanding, all groups that make up a nation share some commonalities that distinguish their countries from other countries and ethnic groups. For example, there are characteristics that are distinctly American Distinctly European, distinctly African, and distinctly Asian. Those commonalities are shared by the generality of people from those countries, regardless of race or socioeconomic status. So, even within nations, there are characteristics that are distinct to specific ethnic groups. It was not that long ago, you see, when we believed that our world had taken a different course, and that increasing technological advances were breaking down geographical barriers. Therefore, terms such as global village, cyberspace, and chatroom became part of our daily lexicon for describing the interconnectedness and narrowing of differences and space that the new technologies we are driving. Currently, unfortunately, hope no longer holds for such human interconnectedness because of the disintegration of the thought process that was the foundation upon which our hopes had been built. In its place, Xenophobia is taking root, as we see in South Africa, the United States currently, and several European countries. Brexit in the UK was also in large measure a product of this reality. Hopelessness, helplessness, and legitimate fear have become prevalent as individuals and groups find ways to cope with the stigmatization and sentiments of the new nationalism that seeks to maintain and create new other categories. To address the experience of fear and social rejection that marginalized groups face, societies must invest in the education of, its, of their citizenry around curricula that emphasize mutual acceptance, and respect as well as the history of the nation and people who inhabit it. Lack of knowledge of history is destroying our world. It is also important to assist members of marginalized groups in developing and strengthening their social support systems. Emphasizing soft power to promote peace instead of war and educating the political electorate and office seekers will also be helpful in addressing the potential of social rejection. We must work to ensure that policy is made and implemented by those who understand the intersectionalities of the constructs that define us, as well as the potential consequences of social rejection to any society. Since the since equality is impossible to achieve, every society ought to consciously promote equity by seriously addressing society's tendency to marginalize individuals and groups. If we can do this, then we will be on our way to living a better world for the generations that come after us. This is what I believe.